Hello and welcome back to ESPN Scrum Reset. It's Sam Bruce, joined as ever by Christy Doran after uh, a brief little uh, hiatus over the last fortnight um, as we uh, prepared to welcome in the rugby championship. And Christy, uh, we certainly welcomed it in in uh, incredible fashion this weekend. So many talking points in the lead up to the games, and then uh, obviously uh, a brilliant, uh, really entertaining. Um, let's call it uh, six or seven hours of of Test Match Rugby this morning, early our time. I uh, I must admit, I didn't do the double header, uh, but when the alarm went off at uh, at 5am for the Wallabies and Pumas, um, I was certainly ready for some footy, uh, if paying the price this afternoon after a, a pretty busy day. Uh, mate, hello to you. Uh, thanks for joining us again. Um, I guess uh, to kick us off, um, we'll come to the Michael Hooper stuff uh, in a little while, um, but uh, your immediate reflections on, the, on that Wallabies performance today. Oh, look, I wrote a couple of... I feel like I've been writing all day and, and that's because there's so much to talk about and you're right. And welcome back to you. You look fresh as a daisy after your trip to Fiji, I think it was. Um, Beautiful spot. Did you run into Scott Robertson there? Didn't see Scott, but I must say I managed to uh, to bring on another listener, our, our driver, um, Sefa, Sefa, actually. Uh, same name as Sefa Naivalu, who, uh, who, yes, once I told him, what I did, uh, he uh, he was intrigued and, and talked the whole way and and uh, the wife just sat there uh, pretty quietly thereafter for the rest of the trip to the Marriott at, at Mommy Bay. But uh, yeah, big shout out to Sefa. Hope you're listening, mate. Shout out to Sefa indeed. Oh, look, a couple of things stood out. And, and first of all, one thing that you can say about Dave Rennie's sides is that they're showing character. And those staying in the fight, staying in the battle has been on display. I would say... I can't think of a single test thus far uh, under Rennie's two-and-a-half-year tenure, and I think of a, a blowout the, in Sydney where the All Blacks were leading about 30-0 before a try to, to Noel Lolaseo, but they still actually fought right the way through, and, and those shining characteristics are really coming to the fore now because, you know, three tests against England, they managed to fight their way back. We saw it against France last year in the in the July series, uh, we saw it against South Africa. Um, and even in those couple of tests against Wales and England, Scotland last year, where they weren't clinical necessarily, but they showed the fighting characteristics that allow you to stay in the hunt. We didn't necessarily always see that with Michael Checker coach sides. They seemed like they were very um, temperamental and a bit like the characteristic of Michael Checker, which was up and down, and when things went pear-shaped, so did the team. Fortunately, this side seems like they're pretty rock-solid under Dave Rennie. Um, the polish isn't always there. And I think of when I think of that, I think of the Hunter Paisami um, grubber under advantage, which goes too long to Lenny Town. Now, we've seen that a few times with Hunter, and it's a good option, but the execution isn't quite there yet. Once those sorts of things start to come into effect, we'll see a... a, a a side which actually takes their opportunities and, and they'll be a, a, a side that you would imagine in the semifinals of a World Cup next year. But three years into this four-year project and potentially a seven- to eight-year project, considering the rebuilding mission that needed to take place, they're getting there. Um, what, what I liked about the test more than anything was that this side doesn't necessarily think that they're world beaters yet. They're not. But what they do have is good pack and they've got a really emerging forward pack 
They've got uh, Dave, uh, Dan, Dan McKellar there, who's brought the strengths of the Brumbies into the strength uh, into the Wallabies, which are turning into a strength which every test team needs to have, and that is a strong forward pack that can lay the platform and be rock solid at the set piece and at times dismantle an opposition via that mechanism. And, and we saw that with the rolling more, you know, people might not like it, but it is damn effective. And you've got to be, to be a test power hunt station, you've got to be good in that area. You know, they've scored three tries there. We saw a scrum when they were going backwards or losing struggle. They managed to work their way through that. And the line out with Falao Fying was excellent. The two players that I've highlighted are Falao Fying and Darcy Swain, who I thought had their both their best two tests. And we can look at specific moments, you know, the, the rolling more, stopping that twice from Darcy, Darcy Swain, getting on the ball, I think it was in the 17th minute or, or just before that, rather, um, Swain gets on the ball. Um, we saw... Um, you know, the beautiful deaf pass to Quade Cooper, which puts him to space. So they're the pleasing elements because without a forward pack, you don't win test matches. Absolutely right. Uh, three of the five tries, of course, came from the rolling mall. Uh, one finished by Fraser McWright getting uh, pulled across the line by, by Jed Holloway, uh, who had a, a very solid game, I thought, uh, on debut and um, a real emotional post-match uh, yeah, a little uh, interview with Stan Sport. If you haven't seen that, uh, if you flicked off out at full time to go and get a coffee, uh, go back and watch that because uh, despite a cheeky little left bomb, um, it was uh, it was beautiful to see uh, the emotion and, and what that um, what that international debut meant to him. Uh, and then of course uh, penalty try uh, from Mike Adamson, uh, who is a referee. I tell you what, if if I'm a coach at the World Cup next year and I'm seeing Mike Adamson uh, next to uh, one of uh, my team's fixtures uh, from the knockout phase onwards, I'm a little bit concerned because it's helter-skelter stuff to me. And for, to me, it feels like he's still refing as if it's a sevens game. And I think we mentioned that following the Wales test last year. Um, it was uh, 30 penalties in total. The, the first half uh, never really had any flow to it at all. He was very quick on the whistle. Uh, the Wallabies were 10-3 were behind in the count. Uh, at half time, but then in the second half, it all flipped around. And at one stage, there must have been about eight, nine, ten penalties that Australia had in the row. So, um, but before I, I, we, before we move on, oh, look, we we don't want to talk too much about the referee. No, absolutely not. But but I actually, you know, it was pedantic. That's what it was. It was nitpicking, and you could find more penalties in there. But unfortunately, you know, that's the game of rugby that it is now. I actually thought the the vast majority of them he kind of got right. I, I thought the Ned the the Jed um uh the the Jed Holloway one where he's gone slightly across but he's managed to get hands firmly on the ball I thought that's wrong you know he's got hands on the ball he's probably won it he's come down with the ball yeah um I, I thought that was a mistake but for the vast majority of them I thought they were pretty right I think on the whole he largely stayed away from the pocket you know Holloway maybe other referees might have given him a, a yellow card for a high tackle there um you know, there was when when all the penalties were going against the Wallabies in that first half. So it was interesting that 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 um, I think it might have been Morgan Terranui very early on said that Mike Adamson generally early in a test match goes very hard at it and then will start to let it go a little bit more. Well, we saw that with the Wallabies, certainly, but some of the things that the, the Argentinians were doing in that second half was what Australian supporters 
had been furious about for years under Michael Checker and ill disciplined side. And we saw some simple things off the back of, of, of um, kick restarts where the, the Pumas just gave penalties away and, and allowed the Wallabies to picky way their back up the, 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 the half of the field. So I wasn't as frustrated as some, but I could understand um, uh, uh, Andrew Merton's bemoaning the the style that Mike was going about it. Yeah, uh, and clearly, you know, as you say, we, we don't want to harp on about it and we need referees coming through at the elite level and no doubt he's going to get better uh, as he gets more exposure. Um, but, uh, yes, yeah, certainly there's... And, I mean, that's the thing too. Coaches need to... They do so much research into the opposition team. Yeah. And they must research the referee Have to. As, as well and work out what are their particular focal points and, and where do they usually award uh, the majority of their penalties. Yeah, indeed. And the other one that I'd highlight is the Hunter Paisami. He clearly went for an intercept there, almost got two hands on it. I don't think he necessarily did, but you know what? Mike Adamson there goes, that was a genuine intercept. Yep. Good call. And, yeah. and, 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 you know, I don't think we saw the TMO really come into it at all, once or twice around tries, whether or not they were, and they were legitimate. Do we check this? Um, they played on. I thought the team O or the lack of TMO interjections was incredibly um, refreshing, and and perhaps that's why I think the balance was reasonably well struck because, despite the fact that there was a number of penalties, we didn't have the stop start nature of a TMO. Very good. Uh, all right. Um... It's uh, such a big talking point. Um, let's start with Quade Cooper before we come to skipper Michael Hooper. Um, the second half injury uh, on the back of, of course, the, the calf injury there in the warm-up over in Perth, um, it just looked straight away like an Achilles, didn't it? Just the fashion in which it happened. Um, Quade had had a really threatening first half. Uh, the break he mentioned off the Swain pass, um, just couldn't find Fraser McWright there in support. There was some good... Argentine cover coming across, um, perhaps a, a little bit of uh, the old Quade there in the first minute with a flick pass to a, an unsuspecting Len Ikatau. Um, but on the whole, um, he looked to be playing pretty well with He, was sharp. he looked sharp. 10. He did look sharp. And, and then to see him drifting across there, a beautiful delayed pass for, for Pattaya's try there after the Wallabies had been under the pump early. Um, just there early in the second half, drifting across, nothing, a little bit of a stutter step, and the next thing, he, he's gone down. The old sniper's got him. Terrible to see, um, given what he'd been through, obviously, with, with the calf injury that ruled him out from the England series, uh, and that's certainly going to be a lengthy stint on the sidelines. And um, I think as we've both written today, it's it's really thrown the, the World Cup, uh, his ambition to play the third World Cup, um, which on the strength of uh, his uh, first part, first half performance today, you'd think he, uh, he was very much uh, tracking towards. Um, it's going to be a tough assignment now, isn't it? Absolutely. Oh, look, I had a few Wallabies, uh, not so long retired Wallabies messaging me going, you know, is it, a, is it an Achilles? Because they were all obviously pretty anxious. Some of them mates with him. Some of them know him very well. Yep. Um, it, like a bitter devastating blow like this is a 12-month injury and at his age can you you know players might not ever recover to their speed um and you know at, at his age it's very unlikely that he that he ever will but particularly given that you know 12 months brings him on to the eve of the world cup um and he's the sort of guy that has seen that has shown that he doesn't necessarily need 
match form or match practice to come into a game because what we saw today was was good enough to be a test standard. And what we saw last year when he had been in the wilderness for four years of tests and, and hadn't played a game of, of you know, professional rugby in the Division 2 of Japan, we hadn't seen... Oh, he, he delivered against the Springboks too. So, you know, if he can somehow get himself to a, a state where he can run and, and match some some speeds, you wouldn't rule him out. But long way back, and this is, um, you know, it, it, I, I and I've been saying it for a long time. Pete, those that have been listening to the podcast would have heard me go. I, I don't see both he and James O'Connor making no, it to the World Cup, and I've been saying it for a long time, and I still feel like. Both of them might not make it to the World Cup. Maybe one is already gone. We know that James O'Connor can't really string three to four games together at the moment. And, and sometimes that's also because he's not getting picked. But what does that do and then in terms of a, an experience um, decision? Do you bring in a second youngster to kind of learn? Um, well, or- Tane Edmed and, and Ben Donaldson are now potentially one injury away uh, from a call-up, and you've got to think that at least one of them will be going to uh, to Europe later in the year, uh, and could see some some action even before then. Yeah, look, I, I'm a Ben Donaldson. Out of the two, I'm a Ben Donaldson fan. I think Ben Donaldson's got more of a test game. I've spoken to recently a few people that go, "Do you think Ben could do a job?" Uh, and and they still think it'd be rushing him, um, which is interesting. Uh, They've got to make a really clear decision next year, the Waratahs, who they pick at 10. They've got Kirtley Bill coming back. One of them will have to be sacrificed probably to the bench. Injuries will occur, no doubt. I think that Noah Lolaseo, um, will should be part of most 23s going forward simply on the fact that I think he'll be play a, a pivotal role at next year's World Cup, whether or not he starts, whether or not he comes off the bench or whether or not he starts later in a tournament should they progress deep in it just given the history of of o'connor and quaid one name that i floated in a story today and i know for a fact that he's interested is, is bernard foley and there's going to be a lot of people that will raise their eyebrows and go come on seriously what are you what are you on about and and this probably stems to the fact that under checker the wallabies in 2017 18 19 weren't particularly flash hot and they particularly weren't flash hot in 2019, um, nor were the Waratahs. But you look at when Foley was used, and he was used against Springboks in South Africa, not used again until the World Cup against Wales, thrown in the deep end there after not even being picked for the first test against Fiji in the World Cup, has a, you know, has a shocker, and there's no doubt about it that one or two bad games doesn't necessarily mean you're a bad player. He's gone to Japan couple of years away, has had a good time. And in fact, he was asked before Quade Cooper, are you interested in joining the Wallabies last year before the rugby championship? And look, there's particular players out there that feel like they were either burnt from Rugby Australia or because there was no communication from Rugby Australia for a couple of years, guys that have played 70 tests, that do they... You know, how do they how does it make them feel when you just at the last minute go, Oh, do you want to come train with us and see how you're going? Like you've got to treat some guys with more respect, particularly when they've been at World Cups, particularly when they've been a part of a group for so long. So I wouldn't rule it out. There's gonna be a third you know pick at some point in time because we know that Karevi's out for a long time and we know that Quaid's out for a long time. It 
allows Rory Arnold to, to come into this spot seamlessly. So Marika will stay there. Is there a third option? I don't think they'll go to a Bernard Foley at the moment, but it, it, there is a massive gap between fly halves, playmakers, between the age group of 23 to 30. And they're the shortcomings of Rugby Australia that they haven't been able to have one player who is in the test reckoning between 23 and 30, which is staggering. Yes, uh, I actually interviewed uh, Bernie earlier in the year, so I've just uh, picked it up again uh, for ESPN here now and um, just reading something, uh, a few of his quotes back there. Uh, there is always a carrot to play in the Wallabies jersey and to play in World Cups is a pinnacle. So that's always at the back of your mind. So yeah. he certainly hasn't ruled it out by any stretch. As you say, there's um, you know probably a, a couple ahead of him for now and it would be you know, uh, a move towards experience rather than looking to, to generation next or, or certainly incoming, um, but uh, not beyond, completely beyond the realms of, of possibility. Sam, before before we move on from a 10 situation, we'll, we'll talk about who should play 10 next week. But before that, if, if it's a World Cup final in a month's time or in two months' time, and hypothetically, there's no James O'Connor because he's injured or he's in and out of injury and you're not quite sure. Quaid's not there and it's Noah. Noah, sure, you take him. But would you prefer a Ben Donaldson who's not played a match or would you prefer a Bernard Foley who's got 70 tests of experience, who's had a really good year, guided a, a pretty poor roster in Japan to the semifinals where, let's be honest, there's four or five really good teams now in, in the Japanese League One comp. Look, you'd seriously consider it. And I think as you, you make the point there that, Donaldson and, and Ed Med are just scratching the start of their their careers, really. A bit of exposure with Australia A, obviously, recently in the yeah. Pacific's yeah. Nations Cup. But, um, yeah, to, to be honest, if it was, you know, next month or, or, or six weeks, you would certainly have to look seriously at him. Um, the experience, uh, particularly, as you mentioned there, with, with James O'Connor, um, seemingly out of sorts since his return um, there off the bench against England. Um, I'm sure we're going to see James again this season. I've no doubt yeah. about that. And, and uh, you know, if he can get his body right um, and really, you know, potentially now um, link up with with Hunter Paisami, who, who as you mentioned, um, had a really strong game there back at number 12, which he's, you know, far more suited to, in my opinion, than, than 13. Um, he looks really sharp. That combination we spoke in about beforehand with, with James at number 10 and a couple of other Reds potentially uh, in the backs, uh, Jordy Pattaya back on the wing uh, and a guy you wanted to flag, Tom Wright, um, looking uh, right at home at fullback. So, yeah, look, it's um, it's an intriguing uh, proposition, isn't it? And uh, we'll just have to uh, see how the next few weeks unfold. I mean, the Wallabies injury ward, just when you think it can't get any worse, when you lose uh, Samu Karevi, uh on Commonwealth Games duty, and I don't know how much we want to unpack that decision. Um, I mean, hindsight's a beautiful thing, but um, certainly in a World Cup year, had the Com Games been, you know, held and the World Cup, as you said, were were in September, then there'd be no way, Sam, we would have gone to the, the Com Games in no. in that no. position. But, um, yeah, uh, compared to Dave Parecki, Cops concussion at the start of the week uh, after the rotten run of luck, both in the lead-up to the England series and then what went on during that three-test um, showdown. It's it's quite remarkable, really. Yeah, you're not you're not wrong. And look, it's attritional, and we've always known that. But at the moment, there's a lot of injuries. There's a lot of questions being asked, and there's a lot of, you know, not just questions from Joe Blow or or people in the media. There is some heat from questions around 
rugby administration's going, what's going on in here? Um, there's been a lot of injuries and and some of them on the training paddock particularly, which isn't great. Um, who, who, you, who are you starting next week at, at number 10? I'm starting Noel Wallace. I, I don't think he was particularly bad at all uh, in uh, against England. Obviously, yeah. we, as we spoke about after the third test, the Wallabies got very lateral. They seemed determined to try and spin the ball from side to side. Um I mean, he's still finding his voice, really, isn't he? And, and that's potentially the, the big learning that, that came out of that, that, you know, he really needs to step up and command that, hang on, boys, this isn't working, or it's not getting the desired outcomes that we're after. We've, we've got to change tune here a little bit, and that's all part of his development. And, um, but he'd, he'd be where I'd go next week for sure. What about you? Yeah, I think it's it, it might depend on... on oh, there's been a few changes already and, and you don't want to be making changes and multiple changes week to week. You want players to allow to build into it as well. Look, we're not across in Argentina uh, at the moment, so it's hard to know how they are going training-wise, et cetera, et cetera. I, I probably would start Noah. Um, I, I agree. I didn't think he had a particularly... Um, I, I thought he had a reasonable series against England, yep. particularly standing up against uh, England and Perth. I probably would return to a 5-3 split and I would allow James O'Connor to go on the bench. Um, I think Reese can hold his spot potentially on the bench and I think that would be fair enough given um, his contribution to the game on the weekend. And, and the coverage that he provides from 10 through 15, basically. Yeah, exactly. And look, maybe on the other hand, you go, well, Reese can play back up and you go... As Sully Vunavalu, but if you're putting a Sully Vunavalu on the bench, I don't want to see him just for three minutes. You know, there's there's very little um, giving him token minutes like that. The the expectation around that, in my opinion, should be if you're going to go to Sully Vunavalu, you're playing, you're playing for 20, 25 minutes, and you let him go. Uh, you know, you've got to learn. You've got to. You don't learn from sitting on the sidelines. It it would be slightly. You know, there's no way that they would just allow James O'Connor to sit on the sidelines and give him three minutes or I say that, but, but, but Dave Rennie didn't give him huge minutes during last year's rugby championship either when he did come back from, from injury, but he was still getting 15 to 20. Uh, and that's important to identify. So, you know, it's a decision to make. That being said, the Wallabies bench was outstanding against Argentina. You know, Nick Frost um, was brilliant. Oh, he's just going from strength to strength, and we Big see his pace. Gut-busting bust, gut chase there at the finish, wasn't there? Yeah, and clearly Hodge played well. Um, you know, I think it showed his shortcomings where his body shape was with the forward pass to Marika. Um, but on the whole, you know, Pete Sam, we know all that he offers off the bench too, and um, Robbie only, only got a couple of minutes, so it's hard to kind of see there, but... I thought that the bench and the forward pack, what they offered off the bench was outstanding. Of course, uh, some massive news uh, we awoke to on uh, on Saturday morning, Christy. Um, Michael Hooper uh, returning home uh, with um, struggling, just freely admitting that uh, he's doing it tough at the moment, not in the right mindset to play rugby at all. Uh, some personal issues, issues going on uh, in his world at the moment. He withdrew as a result. Um, my immediate reaction, I'm not sure about you, I wasn't shocked um, that this had come up. Um, when I reflect on the, the past few years and some of the, I guess, um, the pressure, um, the, uh, the situations that, that, that Hooper has been involved in, the leadership that uh, he has had to show, um, obviously we think about the Israel Folau saga, we think about the onset of 
coronavirus and uh, Rugby Australia needing to make sweeping uh, pay cuts across the board, and that included the players, and Hooper was at the front of that. Um, he's had to bear an incredible load, um, and, and now we find, uh, you know, he's a guy who never shirks any responsibilities. He fronts up to every media conference he's required to do. Um, and just reflecting now, seeing him in Sydney um, after that loss to England, uh, as beaten up as ever, um, it, when I saw on social media that had happened yesterday morning, um, I must admit I, I wasn't shocked at all. Yeah, and, and I think the initial reaction was, um, this is interesting because it's 24 hours before a before the test, like we heard today, Fraser McWright revealing that it was on the Friday morning that he gets told, okay, don't go to um, the gym, your um, hoops, is, hoops is crook. So clearly the team at that point in time hadn't been told, and this is Friday captain's run, that, that hoops is withdrawing. So it's a last minute, very late in the piece decision. So like everyone, you're surprised more than anything, and, and his former teammates and players and mates are, uh, I think everyone was caught by surprise. Um, what I found interesting was the, um, the the release, the press release that came from it. And it was great that there was you know comments from both uh, Wallach's captain Hooper to the coach to the CEO Andy Marinos, and um, the, a mindset issue was one of one of the things that 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 was spoken about. And then there was a few of us that jumped on a presser with with Dave, which was generous of their time to try to explain the situation yep. a bit but we didn't necessarily get to the bottom of what's going on and 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 you can understand that because it's it seemed like the the language that Dave Rennie was using was that you know that that, that for men particularly to say that they're not okay um and we've got to be sensitive about this um the language that was uh, it seemed to me like it was more of a mental health thing from my understanding since, and I've written about it this evening, that it's more of a physical toll that Michael has experienced. And, you know, looking back at some of the stats today, 121 tests, the quickest ever to 100 tests. Um, of the 121 tests, he started 115 times. And of that, 90, uh, 95 times, he's gone 80 minutes. Um, you know, he's the second youngest Wallabies captain of all time. Um, made captain under three different coaches and a fourth gave him his debut. This is a guy that has shouldered so much. And recently, and uh, you know, even a conversation with him a couple of months ago at the front of an opera house for the, um, the announcement that Australia had secured the World Cup rights, it was the second week of, of Hoops missing a super rugby match because of concussion. And he said, look, you know, I asked him how you're going and so forth. And he said, look, I'm, uh, you know, Sundays aren't as easy now. You know, uh, you once upon a time you could bounce up and you could be all right and you'd go for a surf and everything's all good. You know, these days it's it seems like it's wearing on him. Now, speaking to a few people over the last 24 hours, they seem to think it's more of a taxing physical wear, wearing down of him. And, and even um, the lead up to the Brisbane test, which I think was one of his worst games, he was had the flu all week um, pretty much and was, was sick, wasn't in great shape apparently. Um, and then even leading into the Sydney test had a bit of a dodgy back. Um, and if it wasn't a deciding test, if it wasn't on home soil, wasn't at the SCG, maybe he wouldn't have played that match. Um, 
But there's also other questions that people are asking, uh, you know, why isn't Fraser McWright being afforded more opportunities? And you look at someone like Fraser today and he had a, a pretty good game. And, you know, is there a hell of a lot of difference between him and Michael Hooper at the moment? Maybe in terms of a leadership perspective and a physical perspective in defence, but some of the attributes that Fraser's had and had for a long while, his link play, his ability to get on the ball, outstanding. Is there a need to just manage players a little bit better and maybe take a leaf out of the, the book out of Leinster where Johnny Sexton hardly plays a game for Leinster, plays some of the big games, and they just make sure that physically and mentally he's always right to go. Well, it's created an interesting scenario now, hasn't it? And we spoke about the Fraser McWright situation early on in the season when he was playing the house down for the Reds in, in the Australian portion of Super Rugby Pacific. Um, he probably came back to the pack a little bit uh, when contesting the, the Kiwi games to the Reds later in the season. But um, he's now got that opportunity, as you said, uh, played pretty well today, uh, obviously, scored a try, um, but that's a, a minor thing. He was busy around the breakdown. He conceded an early penalty, but he didn't let that derail his, uh, his want or desire to get on the ball. His support was always there. As we said, he loomed up with behind Quaid there in the, the first half. He just couldn't find him. Uh, was 11 for 11 tackles. Uh, I think made, you know, the next best Wallaby was maybe five or six. Um, so got through, a you know, a, a heap of defensive work as well. And you know, this this is a scenario, admittedly, in no way would he have wanted this his opportunity to come like this. Um, he's a team man. He's a former Australian under-20s captain. Um, and he's got leadership qualities, clearly, uh, on his uh, as well. So um, he's probably going to get a run of games now. Is there, and I know you wrote about this um, after the England series, and it's a, you know, it's long for the for the Michael Hooper, not haters out there, but guys who potentially aren't uh, enamoured with what he's done in the Wallabies jersey over the years. Uh, it was an opportunity for people to say, yep, I think the time has come for a change of voice, potentially, or not Hooper is the man to, to go through to the World Cup. With this now uh, obviously occurring, um, is it a time to, to look seriously at that and think, okay, Perhaps James Slipper, who is also a man who's had his personal struggles in the past, and perhaps that's something for for Hoops to call on and, and have a bit of a chat with Slips, and, and no doubt he will at some point about um, finding his way back and and getting through some some personal stuff. Um, is that the option now that to help manage him, as you say, to help manage Michael Hooper through to through to France next year, that um, he can potentially that's the captaincy is one thing that he doesn't really need. I think it's it's something that will seriously be considered. Uh, from my understanding, that that has actually been raised to Wallabies officials in the past. Is there the possibility of a, a co-captain? Um, from my understanding, they are not keen on that idea. Um, and nor is there, and, and as I kind of wrote and posed, nor is there the obvious alternative candidate, which has made it trickier, um, particularly when you look at Alan Alatoa and Taniella Tupo, um, James Slipper and Angus Bell. Well, um, it's, it's really only Nick White, isn't it, um, that could potentially step in and, and do that. And we know Nick is not a great, um, perhaps, referee manager, for, for, like, for, like, like any good halfback, right? For, They're going to have their run-ins yeah. with the whistleblowers. Look, I, I think that you could see a Michael Hoop continue with the on-field captaincy and perhaps um, take a really back step when it comes to and it's not just fronting the media when you're the captain. There's a lot more 
um, functions, uh, obligations to tour. There is the captain's run, generally speaking, or you know, facing up after a Saturday after a win or a defeat. And how hard must it be when you, like we can't deny it. That, you know, it's a it's a pretty poor winning percentage rate, and that's not necessarily a reflection of Michael Hooper, but a reflection of the times that, that he's unfortunately, well, all fortunately, led the Wallabies side. You know, Dave Rennie going into the test had a 39% win rate as coach. That would have been, you know, bumped up just a little bit now after that win um, yesterday's or today's rather. Um, so, yeah, it's, I think it would be a conversation that will be had. I think it would be entirely up to Michael Hooper. Um, I don't expect Michael Hooper to play against the Springboks. I think he's a chance of playing against the All Blacks, but there is a, a strong chance that maybe he has the entire rugby championship off. Um, but it's probably too early to tell because I think Michael Hooper will probably take some time off, make sure he gets complete full physical examinations to see where he is physically, uh, and he'll be also in tune mentally as well. And like everyone in the Australian rugby community, and I'm sure the wider sporting community and, and everyone on the street, you know, it's um, he's been lauded for for taking this stance uh, across the board. Really, um, it's a it's a powerful message. Um, he has, yeah, to all um, to all people out there, but particularly men of you know 18 to to 70 or whatever you you know that that we see the statistics of of you know struggling and with various things in life. Um, so. Uh, yeah, bravo, Michael Hooper. Um, everyone wishing you well and uh, take as long as you need. Hey guys, if you like this podcast and you like footy, why not join myself, Matt Walsh, Jake Michaels and champion data's Christian Jolly as we break down all things footy with the help of the game's best statisticians. Get the ESPN footy podcast wherever you stream your podcasts every Tuesday. That's a pretty good wrap on the Wallabies, uh, Pumas, Christy, uh, now there's obviously a fair bit going on across the ditch still. Um, the other game in the rugby championship, of course, a few hours before uh, the Wallabies win in Mendoza was between uh, the Springboks and All Blacks uh, in Mombella. Uh, 26-10 to the Springboks, uh, fairly comprehensive. Uh, and the heat just uh, goes from, you know, if he was already in the furnace, uh, he somehow found himself to the earth's core and is surrounded by liquid hot magma. Uh, now, Ian Foster, it's it's win it win this weekend or or curtains, isn't it? You'd think so, and that's some of the reports coming out of New Zealand um, that that that's the likely the case. And it was pretty telling that the New Zealand CEO Mark Robinson only said that he was the perfect man to, or he's the right man to lead the All Blacks um, to South Africa, um, but refused really to uh, guarantee whether or not he'll be there at next year's World Cup. Now, that's like an open-ended question and it's one which can be, you know, a reporter's clearly trying to get a, an answer. Is he going to be there at the World Cup or not? And if he's not, then you hold people to account, don't you? So I felt like he's probably trapped between a rock and a hard place, but what it does show is that he's seriously under pressure, under scrutiny, already lost two of his assistants, a similar result despite the fact that he's saying that Oh, it was one of our better uh, better games. It was a step up, which is An some of the yeah, yeah, some of what Ian Foster's had to say since. The question is, you know, you know, he, perhaps set up for failure. You know, going over to South Africa is an almighty tough task. Um, beating the, the the world champions, they've hardly they haven't played the All Blacks at home for a couple of years. 
Um, let's be honest, it was always going to be difficult to win a one, uh, let alone two. Um, uh, so, look, I think it probably does come down to this test. It's just going to continue. It's it's a re religion New Zealand, in rugby in New Zealand, isn't it? And, and if it's not, then it's just the hottest topic in town. Um, it's all over the newspapers. Um, it needs strong leadership. We haven't necessarily seen that, have we? And we've seen leaks coming out. We've seen emails. You know, we've seen LinkedIn posts. It seems like an absolute schmozzle at the moment. What's happening over there? And 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 I, maybe it's a fact that New Zealand haven't been um, used to losing, and they don't know how to react. Um, maybe it's the arrogance. Uh, maybe it's the contempt that New Zealand rugby's treated domestic or, or club rugby. Um, pillaging in case or not financing it properly maybe it's the fact that they go ahead with private equity deals or try to have private equity deals with not talking to its stakeholders um there's a lot of things here but but we've, as we've been talking about for a while now you need to have that continuity and the cohesion and the um between captain coach ceo it doesn't seem like everyone's on the same page at the moment and and it's reflecting i would say on the field the selections still raise eyebrows. Um, and uh, look, like what was your assessment coming out of that game? What, 26-10, um, a couple of really pivotal moments, a couple of really severe concussions to some of the playmakers' game. Um, there was a lot going on in the early hours, anyway, Australian Eastern. There was, and it's probably a good place to start, a nasty collision, uh, Aronza. Uh, Arenze, sorry, the uh, the winger um, who I thought Im immediately was actually Cheslin Colby and, and of course wasn't. Cheslin's uh, got a broken jaw, um, but yeah. played a lot like Cheslin, uh, lighter frame, brilliant feet. Uh, he got through and and challenged uh, Bowden Barrett in the air late on. If you haven't seen it, it's a really frightening collision and, and Bodie comes down and very nearly straight on his neck. Thankfully, it's, it's more shoulder blades, shoulders and, and neck, but uh, it could have been a catastrophic result for him. Uh, he gets a red card. Uh, Aaron's is uh, obviously uh, red carded, sorry, um, as well. He stretched it off. Um, but there was actually a challenge earlier in the match where I, I was surprised that he wasn't penalised uh, for one on, on Geordie Barrett, where he chased through, um, he collected Geordie, not really in a position to, to catch the ball. And uh, Geordie wasn't injured and, and didn't fall too badly. And uh, Angus Gardner, um, who had a pretty, really good game otherwise, um, probably just erred in that one, I thought. And, had that decision have been made, then perhaps Aronzi, uh, he um, he might not have gone through with such vigour um, yeah. as he did uh, to chase the box kicks, which we know is, is such a big part of, of the Springboks arsenal that we might have avoided that clash. Now, thankfully, Bodie hasn't suffered any major injuries. Uh, you would think he, he might be um, at long odds to start next week, but we'll learn more in the coming days. Um, otherwise, Malcolm Marks uh, just bossed the breakdown. Oh. Uh, I'm such a big Malcolm Marks fan, and I have been for years uh, I don't think there's probably anyone better over the ball than he is. He's got that frame. He's so low and, and so wide. And, and if he gets the chance to get on the ball, you, you're not going to get him off it. Um, so a brilliant game from him. And yeah, I, I think the the Springboks are, are probably trying to evolve their game a little bit. They, they showed some really nice moves in attack, uh, managed to create an overlap a few times. Uh, Damien D'Alende went through um, and then kicked the ball out. Um, but it was just a comprehensive win. I, I think, you know, 26-10 probably. Suffocated you know, them, really. They did. They squeezed them and, and any opportunity, the rare opportunities that New Zealand 
did get. They uh, they often shot themselves in a the foot. Bodie make a made a beautiful break from a from behind his own line and um, found Geordie. And then I think the the play broke down with a just a terrible forward pass from Akira Yuani. So yeah, look, they've got some massive issues. Not just uh, you know clearly a, within the game in New Zealand rugby and all the criticism that they've come in for in in recent times, but. Um, there's there's real question marks in, in many positions a, across that team and and the heat while it's on Ian Foster it's it's certainly right on Sam Kane too I oh yeah you know I, I do wonder if there was a coaching change whether um, Sam Kane uh, would be retaining his his spot in the the team so hypothetically if they were to lose next weekend let's say Scott Robertson comes in I I wouldn't be shocked if if Sam Kane uh, isn't in the number seven jersey for that first test against Argentina uh, back in New Zealand. Yeah, and you look. He's not the only one. Is he? It's you know, it's at ten, it's at fifteen. It's what I another point that was really interesting around this was was made by Justin Marshall when he probably wasn't having a couple of drinks, or maybe it was, but 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 he he made a really interesting point on radio where he said that he, he said that the mana had been eradicated um, in recent years, and he spoke about the fact that they've lost against Argentina. They've lost against France. They've lost a home series. Things that hadn't ever been done. Um, teams, nations were sniffing the All Blacks, thinking this is our chance. Um, undoubtedly, the Wallabies are, and, and you know you can't speak too loudly because you don't want to spook them or you you don't want to waken the beast because the Wallabies have been burnt so many times. But it was interesting hearing those comments because for so long New Zealanders displayed a real. Um, confidence uh in inner inner confidence that they'll be all right and you look across right now and you go mm, yes they're missing a couple of those players but belief's a big thing and you just wonder whether or not the all blacks have got the belief and is the belief um you know is it a questioning of the coach and if it's a questioning of the coach it's really hard to bring back in and and i feel like that could be the case um I think Scott Robinson is the, the man and we've been speaking about it for a long, long time. Um, it'll be interesting to see if they go with a, a Joe Schmidt, um, who's, who's part of that system already. He could do a job. I have absolutely have no, no doubt. I just wonder whether or not right time, right place. Scott Robinson's the sort of person that can go, well, this guy is a winner and he knows how to win. Um, and he's got an unbelievable rapport with players, it seems. So, yeah, it'll be fascinating to see what happens over the next week. It's a big game. It's a big test match. They always are New Zealand and South Africa. But hasn't it just it, – it shows the importance, I think, of South Africa. But this goes beyond Super Rugby and, and playing the Saffers, you know, every second or third week. I think this is a, a New Zealand thing where we've seen for some time players like Arika Yuani playing at 13. He's the best winger in the world potentially, but he wants to play in the midfield and he's allowed to. So much so that you're playing 12 for the Blues at times. Like there's players there that, uh, and I encourage you to look at a, a Rod Kafer column from 2020 where he spoke about some of these sorts of things around selection and around um, not getting necessarily too big for your boots. Look it up. And, and it was after the 16 all draw between the Wallabies and New Zealand in Wellington where Kafer warned players, uh, you know, Australians don't get too confident, don't get too excited about what you've seen. This is a New Zealand side where it was a lot of poor selections um, and players didn't play particularly well. So slight tangent, but really fascinating. And once we're talking about the rugby championship and how open it is, and this is why 
with the Wallabies, you know, next week's pretty crucial because they if they win this in Argentina, two tests at home against South Africa, um, the second of which will be played at Sydney Football Stadium. Um, bumper can't, crowd, can't imagine, 40,000, yep. 40, you imagine. Adelaide Oval will be pretty historic there. So there's, there's a real opportunity here for some silverware to build some momentum. Build some momentum and really, you know, win back a, a few more fans. Uh, as you say, those games, I think the one in Adelaide is, a, is actually an afternoon kickoff um, there at the Adelaide Oval. And, and of course, uh, Paddington and, and Moore Park will be humming for that. First international event at, uh, at Allianz Stadium. The turf's in, uh, the Chooks and the Rabbits are going to kick it off uh, in the NRL to officially open it. And then the Wallabies in box the next day. So a fantastic opening and uh, it should be a, a brilliant, uh, brilliant uh, weekend of, of sporting action here in Sydney. Oh, yeah. But before we go, Sam, did you catch the, the footage yesterday, Saturday, that is, of, of, of Joey's of, of schoolboy rugby? I did, uh, yeah, and and a comment that was made to me was, uh, how do we capture this and and drive this? Um, how do we really embrace this and 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 you know make this? Um, uh, why can't we get this kind of atmosphere at, at Waratahs games and, and everything? And there's different questions there, and and you know things about the way that sport is run. It was a big Catholic derby, of course, here in, in Sydney between uh, View and, and Joey's, and a lot of reunions on, and that's why it was moved from Lane Cove to to Leichhardt Oval. Certainly not a good sightseeing uh that uh, that railing come down and and uh those uh, what look like a mostly uh gentleman uh fall uh precariously forward uh really lucky no serious injuries it was yeah. confirmed this morning um but i'm sure we might hear peter volandis on 2gb uh referencing it and uh, his, uh, <laughs> his quest to get a bit of funding for uh not just like art oval but a few uh other uh venues here in sydney Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's not the last we've heard about that. The, the, the final one, and we haven't been on, obviously, about a week and a half, is, you know, you've got to pay a, a shout-out to the Australian Seven Sides and, and you know, a great recovery, a great comeback after the disappointment a year ago in Tokyo. I thought, you know, Rugby Australia needed to be applauded with the high-performance panel that, uh, you know, made the decision, which was an unusual one, but a very simple one, to, to switch the coaches over and, you know, John Menenti's side, I thought, um, didn't take their chances against South Africa in the semi-final. They were there, but nonetheless, um, a, a reasonable result. And if they can jag a, a, a series victory or a tournament victory in the States in the, over the next month, they could win the World Series. That's a, that's a huge one if they could do that. But particularly the women, um, Tim Walsh is clearly... Um, uh, changed in aspects of his coaching and speaking to Charlotte Caslick before that uh, and Tim himself said he was less narrow-minded as a coach. It was less coach, coach, coach kind of aspect and more listening and feeling how the players respond to various things. But Charlotte Caslick, like we know that Matty Levi is so, so impressive and there's a lot of young, great young women playing the game. But Charlotte Caslick, that was Oh, that that semi-final performance against New Zealand and even against Fiji in the final was was one of the better performances I've seen in Australian rugby, men or women. Kaslik over the ball, Kaslik in defence, Kaslik with ball in hand. She could teach a lot of people how to pass the ball left to right. She's, she's a brilliant footballer, full stop. And if you're naming uh, the 20 best players in the world in sevens or 15, she's absolutely somewhere in that mix in the top 20 for mine. She's a fantastic athlete, a, a brilliant footballer um she's had a bit of exposure in the nrlw and who knows she may well end up back there after a third olympics but she's a she's a great role model for 
for Australian rugby and for Australian sport. Um, yeah, and uh, great to see uh, the girls have been uh, across uh, all mainstream media. Um, back on Sports Sunday this morning, um, they've done a lot of they they understand their roles in the game and, and how important they are to it moving forward. Um, and yeah, now they're going to push for a historic treble as well with the Rugby World Cup sevens in. In uh, certainly in South Africa, it might be Cape Town uh, in September. So um, the World Series, the uh, the Com Games, and into that, um, it certainly well, it doesn't completely wipe away. I'm sure the the pain that they would have felt from yeah. from Tokyo last year. It's uh, been an extraordinary run, and and sits and will with every chance to continue later in the year. And of course, the Sydney Sevens will be back uh, here, I think, in January, uh, early next year. So I can't wait for that one as well. A lot to look uh, forward to. So yeah, anyway, bloody uh, huge, huge weekend of rugby. And uh, at some point, some sleep is going to need to be found. But um, before that, good to have spoken and caught up on what was a pretty remarkable weekend and 48 hours of rugby when you consider what's transpired. And, you know, probably a last shout out to Wade Cooper. I think that's a devastating blow for a guy that had gone so far, had so many different storylines in his life, is seemingly a changed person both on and off the field. I'd been so impressed in what I'd seen. Um, and hopefully he continues his spirits and fingers crossed. It, you wouldn't write it out, would you? The Quade Cooper story and what he's been so through. Many twists and turns. So many. Is there one more? And hopefully we do get to see that at next year's World Cup, if indeed he can make a recovery. Um, he's hoping. <laughs> well said. Mate, uh, that's good. That's a wrap. That's a uh, that's a big pod for a big weekend of uh, of sporting uh, of rugby action, both on and and off the field. Plenty of narrative, and of course, all the on field stuff as well. Uh, mate, thank you for your time. Um, I'm off for a, a glass of red, uh, a lie down, and hopefully a, a good eight hours sleep tonight. So, uh, mate, thanks again, and uh, we'll talk again next week. Look forward to it.